Welcome to the Dollars and Hops podcast, where we help you optimize your financial future. Here are your hosts, Scott and Lance. Welcome back to the Dollars and Hops podcast. My name is Lance. I am your host. We're excited you're here with us amidst um, all the craziness with this election that's been going on. Um, Thanks for joining us. I have with us my co-host, Scott. Scott, how are you doing, buddy? What is new? Oh, man. Oh, what what isn't new? Shoot, we're recording this on, what day is it? Wednesday night. Um, So one day after the presidential election. Uh, Didn't get much sleep last night, just like every other American. But I'm excited to take a little break from the election coverage, drink some beer, talk some finances. And um, of course, we're going to be talking about paying down debt or investing for your future. So this is this is a debate that, that Lance and I have kind of had over, over yes. a little bit of time. You know, we, we kind of go back and forth on yes. this and we thought it would be good to bring it to you, uh, the people that listen, uh, because we get relatively passionate about this topic. So before we get started, uh, let's let's go to the to the the hops portion of the podcast. For those of you that do not know, uh, Lance and I enjoy a craft brew every episode, and we will have a hops showdown portion of the pod at the very end, and we will rate our our brews. You can check those out at dollarsandhops.com. Lance, what are you sipping on? Yeah, so this week I am checking out River Dog Brewing Company. They are out of Ridgeland, South Carolina, which admittedly I had to look up where that was. I'm somewhat familiar with the low country. I drive around a lot for work and uh, I remember seeing Ridgeland, but it did not hit my radar of metropolises of South Carolina. However, it's right outside of <laughs> Beaufort, South Carolina, and it's uh, down there in the, in the lower part of the state, which I just love driving through this beautiful area. And this is the River Dog IPA. Uh, so continuing the streak of IPAs locally here in the low country. Perfect. It's going to be IPA versus IPA here. I will be sipping on a, uh, heavy seas brew. Uh, this is a loose cannon IPA. Uh, they are located out of Hillthorpe, Maryland. I have been there uh, a couple times, uh, great little brewery, um, great beers. And, um, if you are into like crab cakes, stuff like that, there's GNM right down the street. Highly recommend you check that out if you are going to check out the brewery. So with that, we're going to get into the headline of the week. Uh, I found this off of CNBC. This says trading activity climbs ahead of the presidential election to kind of keep with the theme. I guess we, we said we weren't going to talk about the presidential election. Here we are, you know, five minutes in. Not even five minutes in, we're already talking about it. But uh, I thought this article was interesting. Um, Essentially, investment activity in 401k plans was more than twice the normal daily average on the eve of the U.S. election. It it sounds as though there's a lot of people that are actually moving to fixed income before the election or maybe even after the election. So they're... Fixed income, meaning meaning what exactly? Meaning they're going with more bond exposure, so less risky investments. So, uh, you know, more of the more of the uh, type of assets that that pay dividends or or a set interest rate, and less uh, risky assets like stocks. So there there's certain people that that I guess are are getting uh, scared by whichever candidate might be 
winning or, or they think will win. And they're making investment decisions based upon that. And I, and I think the main thing here is based upon fear. Yeah. It's, it's fear that maybe their candidate isn't going to win. And, and it's yeah, probably yeah. not the best way to invest at the end of the day. None of us really know what the future holds, but uh, this too shall pass. It's, that's probably the the best thing I could I could I could say is you know we don't know what what the future holds and uh, the stock market has a pretty good history a uh, lot longer than most of us have been alive and it has done relatively well over that period of time. So I would say stick with it. Uh, don't worry. Don't get too caught up on who uh, kind of won the the election. Yeah, I agree, Scott. I think it's a it's a great point, and it's always amazing to me how how fear can sort of drive us to these emotional places where we make maybe some not so smart, not so wise decisions with our our, our money to get us off of our our plans that we already have in place. So yeah, it's a, it's a good article to to kind of get us thinking about that, to be aware of that, so we don't make the same mistakes. We're gonna, um, as Scott mentioned move into our, our main topic for this episode, which is the great debate, as Scott coined it, which I, I love that. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> it's the great debate of uh, paying off low interest debt versus investing for your future. And the reason we said paying off low interest debt versus saving and investing for your future, because we've already discussed in our financial playbook, parts one and two, if you've listened to those episodes, that high interest debt, we're already taking off the table and we are paying that off aggressively. So uh, this is kind of now getting to the question of, so you have low interest debt, presumably we're gonna get more into details about this, but I just wanna say before we even get into this, that I have been looking forward to this episode and doing this podcast ever since we've kind of started this podcast. We're still relatively new at this. It's fun, I get to see Scott, one of my best friends. We have a beer together, we talk finances, we catch up. But there has been a lot of craziness in the world uh, lately and this year, 2020. And um, I'm just excited to kind of get into a, a friendly discussion and even we can even show America that it's okay to disagree on certain things and you can still be best friends. Scott and I are going to prove it to you. We're going to prove it to you that we might have some disagreements and we're still best friends. It's all good. That's right. Um, so Scott, why don't I, <laughs> you know, I'm setting it up for you, but um, what are we looking at here when we're talking about uh, this discussion, this debate in the personal finance world? It's not a new debate. It's, it's widely discussed in personal finance, but when we have low interest debt, which could be in the form of a mortgage or an automobile or any other type of debt that's low interest versus investing in your future. Yeah. So I think the first thing that, that's probably the most important thing to kind of preface this whole thing is you really have to, you have to have a level of discipline uh, in kind of my camp. When I think about this, my initial instinct is, hey, if you have low interest debt, you really shouldn't be tackling that other than just paying it as agreed. And the reason I say that is because all that extra money uh, that you could be putting towards that debt is probably better served in an investment account. There are counterpoints to that. Um, and who knows, the, the, the stock market is not indicative, uh, you know, past performance isn't uh, guaranteed of future results or whatever the saying is, right? So, we have no idea what that interest rate uh, of return would be in the stock market, but we have a pretty good 
idea of what it has been in the past. So we kind of have a good idea of what to expect. So when I think about it, I, I, I kind of look at it from a high level. Okay, if I have a mortgage or I have a car loan and it's, you know, the car loan might be at two or three percent interest and, and, and your mortgage might be at, you know, three and a quarter, three and a half, four, four percent, whatever it is, the stock market is typically done significantly better than that. So I kind of think of it as like an arbitrage situation where you have, you could earn this extra money or this extra rate of return by investing rather than paying down the debt. So that's kind of like from my perspective where I start out and Lance and I, over the years, we've, we've kind of debated this over text messages, over phone calls. So Lance, what is your Kind of what 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 are the counterpoints to that? Yeah, I'll start by saying I think over the years you have moved me more in your camp. So you have persuaded me a great deal. I mean, first of all, because this is how I live my life. I, I currently do have a mortgage on my primary residence. It is a low interest 30 year fixed rate. And any additional money that I have after working the financial playbook, I do throw that into a brokerage account and we do invest that money after all of our living and giving is done. We're living under what we make and then we invest the difference, right? Like we talk about. So I will say you have persuaded me a lot. However, there's a compelling argument to the other side, right? Which is going to be more in the Dave Ramsey camp. For those of you who listen to that show or have read any of his books, he's got a large following. It's a compelling case, right? It's this idea that debt-free completely is the way to be. And that even uh, definitely paying off all other debt, but then when you get to the home, which is usually a lower interest mortgage rate, when you get to when you get to that, to go ahead and try to pay that off as well. And, and the argument is, I've heard it put this way, which was a really compelling. And actually, Scott, I want to get your input on this because this is something that he will actually ask his callers often. And it, it's a, it's a scenario that honestly gives me pause every time. Okay. Um, yeah. and the question is what, okay. If you didn't have a mortgage, would you take out $300,000 at 3.1% interest rate to invest it in the market? And my argument with, to that would probably be yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. And I would say you're in the minority there of most people because of your level of discipline, which is a compliment. But what I'm saying for most people, the the kind of gulp you take and be like, ooh, take out a $300,000 loan to invest all of it in the market. Yeah, you feel like you're going backwards. Yeah, right. Now, why is that? And, And his point is this, it's risk. What you're feeling in your gut and your heart is kind of risk when your brain is saying, well, wait a second, I should be able to make up the spread in the market. But what you're not accounting for oftentimes or as much as you should account for it is that that level of risk that you're taking for $300,000, which you don't have or else you already would have invested it in that scenario. So I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole, but the whole idea is that I, I think it is a sound way to, to go about things with a low interest rate mortgage, low interest rate debt. We're going to talk about what types of debt and I actually, we probably have some disagreements about that, but to take that low interest mortgage on a home, for instance, that you're going to live in and then pay that as agreed upon and then continuing to invest over time and betting that the market will do better than three, three and a half, four percent over time, I think is a solid bet. So I, I would agree with you there. And I do think that's a smart move. Yeah. And I think, I, I think it matters. Like, like you said, the asset matters. So if we're talking about a mortgage, 
And and Dave's argument is, well, hey, if you had already paid off the mortgage, would you really want to go out and get another loan on it? My argument would be, yeah. Yeah, maybe I would because I could probably out earn. I mean, it's the same exact thing. I get in your mind, it might be, you might think about it differently, but it's the exact same thing. So yeah, I, I would say, yes, I would. Um, but it, it, the asset matters. So when we're talking about a house, we're talking about an appreciating asset. We're talking about, you know, something that generally speaking goes up over time. We're not advocating for getting a mortgage for a hundred percent of your home's value. And that way, if the, you know, if, if the market tanks, the, the, the housing market tanks, you're upside down. We don't, we're not advocating for that. We're, we're basically saying, Hey, you know, if, if, uh, if you can get a mortgage for, you know, 80% of your home's value or 70% of your home's value and you can invest the difference, I mean, that could be a, a, a sound idea. But if we're talking about a car, well, that's a de depreciating asset. That's probably an asset that you want to maybe pay as agreed upon, but you wouldn't want to necessarily uh, cash out, refi your car loan. That's a bad idea, right? So um, <laughs> there's different asset classes that we can kind of talk about this, but I mean, that's that that's that's kind of the basic premise so so let, let's pause let's kind of pause right here with car because i think this is this is worth noting overbuying on car is one of the biggest mistakes that middle class americans make financially speaking and i think i agree we have to be very you agree so we have to be very careful about this because if you're taking out a loan which we just talked about in the last episode with credit cards which is basically you know mini loans you know month in month out there's a disassociation for what you're paying for versus if you're going to buy a car for cash, right? Uh, a cheaper car for cash that you could afford. But if you're going to take out a loan for a vehicle, you're probably going to buy more than you would have if you would have paid for cash. That's just an, a fact based on studies of paying things for cash versus paying things by credit. You're probably going to pay more. And then you're going to, which is a depreciating asset, is what Scott's saying. Over time, that, that value of that car is going to go down quickly. The value of the car is going to go down quickly and you financed it, which means you're paying a percentage uh, of a, a fee essentially to borrow money to purchase that car that's already going down in value. You got two things going in the wrong direction. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. So so when with the car, I feel way more strongly that even if it's a low interest loan on a car, I, I really think that it's probably in almost every case. I'll never say always, almost every single case, the better thing is going to be to either pay off the car as quickly as possible. And if that's too much of a mountain to climb, you might have too much car. You might need to sell it and you might need to go down in car to continue working your financial playbook and get the other areas of your life more in order uh, before you buy too much car. Yeah. At the end of the day, the car, you know, you drive it off the lot, you're going to lose value immediately. Of course, it's a depreciating asset. So every single month, on your net worth tracker, if you're doing a net worth tra tracker, I mean, your car is worth less every single month. So it's it's a it's right. it's a drag on your net worth. So at the end of the day, especially if you're putting a lot of miles on that car, oh, even more certainly, so, yeah, like right? like you and I, Which in I sales. do for my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. we, we know a little bit about that. We do. So that's a good discussion about vehicles and auto debt and kind of like traps that we tend to fall into as Americans. We want to make sure that we're not overbuying on car. Um, there's def there's different types of ratios out there you can look at. I've heard one being, hey, you're, the value of the car you're purchasing probably shouldn't be more than half of your annual income. 
I think it's a pretty good rule of thumb. It's not a rule to live and die by, but I think it's it kind of lets you know if you're in the right ballpark or not or if you're way out of line. Um, just something to think about. But other benefits to paying down interest fast or getting low in, low interest debt out of your life completely, um, it, it just, for some people, I think it will really help them sleep at night knowing that they don't have any debt whatsoever. They're not going to have any sort of monthly payments that are going towards debt or interest. There's just a level of peace, of freedom, of mindset to know that like the house you're living in, um, if you're a more risk averse person, the house that you're living in, maybe that you're raising your family in is completely paid for. It will never be taken from you. You know, there, there is a, there is a value to that. And so it, right. Regardless of what happens in the world and the economy, the stock regardless market, regardless of what, uh, yeah. If you have investments, retirement accounts that, that can plummet, um, you know, whatever, look, there's value to that. And this ultimately does come down to a value decision. What do you value more? Do you value having investments and investing into the future and, uh, being bullish or, you know, very positive outlook on the future of our economy over decades, which we we both very much are? Or are you more risk averse person and you value just having simplicity in your life and knowing that you have less payments, you don't owe anybody any money at all. And that increased cash flow per month, because if you're decreasing your payments, now you have more cash flow, assuming you have the same or a better job. Uh, you can now invest that on kind of a more clean or secure foundation of zero debt. That is appealing to me. Now, there's downsides to this as well. Um, and Scott, why don't you give us some of those downsides or kind of missed opportunities by paying off that low interest debt? Yeah, I think the main thing is, and we had like I have a real personal example of this. It's really opportunity cost. It comes down to opportunity cost That's right. for you taking that extra money, putting it towards your mortgage or whatever the low interest rate debt is. So this is an example. This actually comes from my personal life. I've changed the numbers so you guys don't know what my mortgage is and all, all of that. But I ran through this exact analysis uh, literally about one year ago when I bought my own house. Um, I ha I'm in a situation where I have extra money at the end of the at the end of the month that I could apply towards my mortgage. So, um, in this example, let's just say you have a five hundred thousand dollar house or a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage at three and a quarter interest rate. Uh, your payments twenty two hundred dollars a month, principal and interest. You let's say I have an extra thousand dollars a month that I want to put towards the mortgage. If I were to do so you that, did your monthly budget, and you have an extra thousand dollars a month in cash flow in your monthly budget. Exactly, and what I, you know, I, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I want to get rid of debt. I, I just want to get rid of this as fast as I can. I, I pop it into a, a mortgage pay down calculator. It ends up telling me that instead of paying off the house in 30 years, I will pay off the house in 17 years. So I've taken 13 okay. years off my loan and everybody would say uh, just $1,000 extra per month, $1,000 extra per month, 13 years off your loan. Yeah. 13. Everybody would say, oh my gosh, that's so, that's amazing. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's awesome. amazing. That's pretty awesome. So I'm saving yeah. all this interest. And for the other 13 years, let's just say I take the $2,200 a month that I was paying towards the mortgage and my extra thousand that I was paying towards my mortgage. And I invest mm -hmm. that money. At the end of 30 years, I'd end up with a $500,000 house or whatever it's appreciated to. 
and my investment account would grow to eight hundred and sixty thousand or so dollars. So I'd have about one point three million dollars in assets at the end of those thirty years. If instead of me taking that one thousand dollars and applying it towards the mortgage, if instead I established an investment account and earned an interest rate of eight and a half percent per year. I would still pay off my house at the end of 30 years. I'd still have that $500,000 house or whatever it's appreciated to. Right. But instead of having $862,000 in investments, I would have 1.5 million in investments. So my assets, my overall- We're talking about the same money per month, You're just, just reclassifying it instead of paying on debt to investing it. it. Exactly. So at the end of that 30 years- I would have $2 million in assets instead of $1.36 million in assets. I was mind blown. Yeah, that's big. When I saw that. Because I, I'm- That's compelling. I think I think anybody that, is, that has a mortgage wants to get rid of the mortgage. Yeah. But when you actually run the numbers of whether or not it actually makes sense to- Yeah. Especially if you're going to be investing that money that you would apply towards the mortgage- it can make a big difference. Well, I mean, and here's it, here's a couple of things to think about. Like you don't you don't really want to enter into retirement with a mortgage, ideally, ideally, um, unless it's just such a low mortgage that it's just you know not even a factor in your monthly budget, percentage wise speaking, like a, as a proportion of your monthly budget. Um, but as you're as you're doing this scenario, we're talking two million versus one point three, one point four million. We're talking you know six to seven hundred thousand dollars in difference in these two scenarios that Scott just outlined. I know sometimes numbers can be a little bit difficult over podcast, over audio learning format. We will post this example in our show notes so you can be scrolling through our show notes however you listen to the podcast and be kind of reading the example as we just outlined it as Scott just kind of went through it for us. Sometimes it's easier to have it as a visual. Uh, but another thing to note, you know, Scott, is over time, that mortgage payment is going to be flat. It doesn't increase. Whereas if you, are, if you were renting, if you were renting, rents go up every year or every couple years. Right. And right. because of that, that payment becomes easier over time as your income probably goes up and inflation occurs around you. So your dollars are worth less, you know, essentially over time. But the the mortgage payment stays flat. So if it's you know in this case, I think you said twenty two hundred dollar mortgage payment. It's a twenty two hundred dollar mortgage payment for thirty years, unless taxes years. go up, which you know taxes will probably go up slightly as the property value goes up. But we're talking for the most part, it'll be very flat compared to rent prices or compared to the price of eggs or gas or other types of commodities in your day-to-day -day budget. Yeah, I think anybody could attest to that. I mean, if you, you talk to your your grandparents or whatever and they and you ask them, you know, what what's your mortgage payment? It's it's likely much lower than than what you could get in the market right now. Most people are kind of mind blown by that. After yeah. 20 years on that mortgage, you're like, you're only paying what? What? So, uh, th that's kind of the thing here. It's like the, the mortgage payment does get easier and, you know, earning that yeah. spread and in interest rate can make a huge, huge different uh, difference at the end of 30 years. I mean, that is substantial. <laughs> it was pretty mind blowing to me. So figured I would share it. So I, I think that's a helpful case study, Scott. Thank you for outlining that for us. And, and I think we agree more than we even 
thought we did. I mean, I think I think if it's put it this way, if it's a I was gonna I I mean you just you just you just said, you know what, Scott, you're right. <laughs> I basically <laughs> so- did. Except I will say I'll stand up for a couple of things I'm I'm still standing hard on. So uh, to kind of close this out, if it's a mortgage on a piece of real estate, whether it's your primary real estate or even your rental real estate within reason, meaning like I'm not really for taking on five, six, seven million dollars of debt to go get a bunch of real rental real estate. We'll ha- we'll have other episodes about that. Um, I think it's a it's a little dangerous. <laughs> but if we're talking like primary real estate, maybe one or two rentals and you have mortgages on those properties, I, I actually am a proponent with along with Scott of paying off uh, of sorry, not paying off those low interest loans, paying them as agreed upon, uh, and then investing the difference um, to maximize your returns over time. Of course, after you're living and giving, of course. Uh, but that that idea has, I think, won me over over time. However, if it's a car, if it's a boat, if it's a toy, if it's something that's going to depreciate over time, doesn't have great resale value, is not an investment asset class, I'm going to push back even if it's low interest debt and say, let's pay that off or sell it because there's better places for your money unless you're getting value out of that boat or out of that toy or whatever it is, um, then, then then pay it off. Pay yeah, it, it can off. get Just messy pay it off for because sure. it's a toy and you don't want to be paying debt on toys, right? You don't want to do yeah. that. That's not fun. No shot. All right, let's go ahead and get into the next segment. This is questions that need answers. Please write in your questions to questions at dollarsandhops.com. This first question comes from Raven. This says, what would you save in a brokerage account versus a savings account? For example, if you're saving for a big renovation in a few years, what would you invest in a brokerage account versus what would you invest in a high yield savings? Basically, he's saying, if I if I have a need, uh, in in the immediate future, or like a renovation that I want to do, should I put it in, in an investment account, or should I just put it in a, a savings account? Lance, you want to take that one? I love the question. This is my man Raven in West Ashley, Charleston. Raven, thanks for being an avid fan of the show. I mean, man, I think Raven might be may, might be our biggest fan. I love this. He might be our biggest. He might be our <laughs> biggest fan. We got we we at least got three out there, and I said Raven's one of them. He might be the top in the top three of the three. Uh, I, I gotta say, uh, I think this, this question does depend. However, uh, I don't want to cop out, but I think it depends on how much the renovation is and how many years you have to, to go. I am in the camp that says if it's three years or more, if you're okay with waiting three years, four years, five years, I'm going to say, throw it in an S and P index fund. Uh, or even if that's a little too risky for you, you can throw it into a total stock market index fund. Go back and listen to our episode on index funds and why index funds. They're low cost. They take uh, wide, broad swaths of the market. You decrease your risk by not investing just in a couple of stocks, but it's many, many, many companies or the entire stock market um, investing in that. But I think you got to have a three to five year outlook at least. If you're talking one to two years and you need to make that that renovation in one to two years, I'm going to say go ahead and just start saving in a high-yield savings account, which is not so high-yield right now. So essentially, you're just kind of saving whatever you can make in extra income, uh, create that as a line item in your budget even. Maybe that'll help you uh, get more motivated to increase your income, cash flow, and save as much as you can towards that goal. 
but it really comes down to how many years you're looking to uh, execute that renovation goal. All right, we've got one more question uh, we're going to have here. This one is from an anonymous listener. I am thinking about being a landlord and purchasing my first rental property. I'm married, 36 years old, and my wife and I max out our retirement accounts. Very nice. We have stable jobs and income. Do you think it's better to invest in rental property or just invest the money in an investment account? Scott, this is an age-old question as well. We could have a whole episode on this one, probably this topic, but what what do you think on this one? Yeah, we really we really could. Yeah, so Lance and I actually both have experience in this in this uh, arena. So we both have rental properties. We obviously both save in investment accounts. This is the the, the easiest way I think to think about this is when you own a rental property, you are essentially becoming a business owner. When you own an investment, you're a passive, you have a passive stake in a business. So if you buy shares of Apple, you're not running Apple. If you buy a rental property, you're running that rep- rental property. You you're the one that's going to get the text messages and the phone calls when the, the the shower breaks or the toilet breaks or whatever the case might be. So it really is a different, you have to go into it with a different mindset. That being said, if you're the type of person that getting that phone call or uh, kind of being bugged every once in a while for different things around the house that need to be fixed or whatever the case might be, dealing with tenants and issues like that, if that doesn't upset you or, 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 or get under your skin and you feel like you can run it like a business, uh, rental property can be extremely, um, lucrative and you can often earn much more than you could in the stock market, but you're going to have to work for that money. So that's what I would, that's kind of how I would answer that. I would say, Hey, it's not a passive investment. It's not like, you know, buying shares of Apple where, Tim Cook is is doing you know most of the hard work and all the it, it, you're, and you're you're collecting the interest um, on, on the on the increase in the share price and the dividends that they're paying you. This is more of like you're starting a business, whether or not you think about it like that or not. That that's how you have to treat it, and you have to detach emotionally. Uh, when you go to run that business. So there's there's a lot of advantages to to running or to having rental property. There's a couple of good resources that Lance and I like. One is uh, BiggerPockets, BiggerPockets.com. They have a podcast. If you're interested in real estate and getting into real estate investing, I would highly encourage that. The other one is uh, Coach Carson. He has a he has a blog. Um, those two resources, I think, for people that are interested in real estate investment investing, I would definitely start there. All right, well done. So moving into our hops showdown, Scott. What did you think about your beer? Yeah, so again, I was drinking the Loose Cannon IPA from Heavy Seas Brewery. Um, I really enjoyed this beer. Definitely had, um, it was just a very smooth IPA. Had some different flavors. I could definitely smell some like pine, a little bit of like grapefruit. Uh, taste. It it, it was so smooth. I've had it before. I love it. High rating, Lance. I'm going with a 93 tonight. Holy smokes. Crushing it. All right. Um, As a reminder, I had the River Dog Brewing Company out of Ridgeland, South Carolina. Um, And this was the River Dog IPA 
it was a great IPA. It was balanced. It was a little bit dry. Um, it was about 6.4% uh, IPA. So it was, it was nice, uh, not too strong and not too um, weak. I, I liked the flavor a lot. It actually was one I could I, I could just sip on for a while. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm going to give it an 88, a solid 88. Uh, it, it, I enjoyed it. It was a good one. I'd have it again. Awesome. And with that, we're going to leave you with our action step. Think about your debts and your investments. Lance and I obviously had the debate here. Um, if you have money left over at the end of the month, uh, think about what makes the most sense for you. Is it is it paying down that debt as fast as you can and having that feeling of freedom from, from that debt? Or is it, hey, let's go the investing route and try to maximize our net worth at the end of the 30 years or however long it is. Um, obviously, some people sleep better at night owing less debt. So think about which is right for you and go for it. This is Lance. This is Scott. Live and give on less than you make and invest the difference. Dollars and hops out. You have been listening to the Dollars and Hops podcast. Optimizing your financial future starts with taking action today. Got a question? Shoot us an email at questions at dollarsandhops.com and the guys will tackle it on a future episode. Visit our website, dollarsandhops.com for show notes and the craft brew lineup for each episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thanks for listening.